Support for Great Minds is provided by The Wine Store in Naples. The Wine Store offers a unique selection of wines from small production, artisan, and family-owned wineries. Their in-store wine education center hosts classes for the novice and connoisseur alike. Details are at thewinestorenaples.com. For this episode of Great Minds, we decided to take things on the road. Yeah, we're here at the Wine Merchant in North Naples, where we had heard about a legendary winemaker in town, and we cannot let him pass by without us meeting him. Dave Powell is here with Powell and Son Wines. He and his son, Callum, are in town for a charity wine auction. So Dave Powell is known by some as the bad boy of Barossa. He spent more than 20 years building the Australian powerhouse Torbreck into a legendary wine producer. But then after the 2008 sale of the winery, Powell declared bankruptcy and left the winery behind so he could start something new with his son. And he called it Powell and Son. Aptly named. We were able to get Powell Sr. to step away from the tasting table and leave it to his son for a bit. So here's that interview. I guess first, tell me a little bit about the, the winery and the project. Well, it's a, it's a new project, but I um, started it, I, I founded Torbrick and ran that for 25 years and then left under fairly controversial circumstances, but that's all old news. And, but the, the silver lining of it all was my uh, elder son was working in France at the time and he said to me, Dad, um, he's about to come home and study knowledge, he said, well, Dad, let's start something together. So hence we started the Powell and Son project. What was he doing in France? He was, I'd sent him, he took a gap year, so I, before he went to study enology at home at Adelaide Uni, I sent him to work with one of my best friends in the business, so he spent the best part of the year working with Jean-Louis Chave and Hermitage, because I wanted him to learn that terms like toir and, and being a vigneron weren't actually marketing terms, they did actually mean something, and who better to teach him than one of the greatest straw producers in the world, so... Mm-hmm. So when you guys had this, you, you had the vision of starting a, uh, a project yep. together, then how did, how did it kind of form and become well, solid and you get we, the land and the grapes and all of that? We, we sat down and said, okay, what is it we want to do? So the first things we looked at what I'd been doing at Torbrick for the last couple of decades and Callum sometimes somewhat impolitely told me what I've been doing wrong. Mm. And he's probably one of the few people that's done pulled that bullshit on me and lived to tell the fucking tale, I can tell you, because that's not something that I normally would put up with. But well, he was right. To tell someone that's good. I mean, fans. Well, they but he's also, he's my son too. So, you know, yeah. he is my son. So, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, that. if anybody's going to do it, my son's going to do it. And he was right. You know, there was things that he was quite right about that, you know, we could improve. And I, I think it's like a chef. If you think you've cooked your best meal, get out the kitchen and stop doing it, you know. So it was nice to have his, you know, youthful enthusiasm to come and say, Dad, you know, let's make the wines a little bit brighter, a little bit fresher. Let's really do some, you know, focus as much on Eden Valley as you used to focus on the Barossa Valley. So to try and, you know, just keep moving with the times in a way. Not that we were trying to make fashionable wines, whatever the hell they are. We just wanted to really, you know, talk about what we would, you know, the Barossa could do. And, of course, having spent the best part of the year in Hermitage, Callum was all over that like a fat kid on Smarties. So, you know, it's one of those things that... Sorry, that's a very Australian thing. We just say here... No, oh, we have fat kids on Smarties. Yeah, here. probably fat kids on M&M's here. Yeah. Says, says me, who's so slim, of course. <laughs> so, speaking of fashion and fashionable wines, you saw the curve of Australia just, you know... Did I ever? Yeah, just fell off the cliff, yeah. What, tell me how that was in your perspective. Well, I think it was a, you know, first of all, Australian wine was a trend, and anything that's a trend by definition is going to not be trendy anymore. So there was the transfer that went from Australian wine, I think, then Spanish wine, then picked up the ball. We also had, at the end of the height of Australian wine, we had the, the popularity here in North America, we had the GFC. I think 
there was also a lot of people here, a lot of people, a lot of people in Australia that were trying to jump on the bandwagon making big, soupy, you know, gloopy wines that weren't really fine wines. And so everybody got a bit sick of the whole, and then the whole critter thing. It just there was a whole combination of factors. You know, sadly, there's been winemakers in Australia that have always made great world-class wines, but we all got, you know, thrown in with the same, you know, everybody was tarred with the same brush. But Australia had its, as an industry, the Australian industry had its hand in that, so we can't blame other people. You know, people say it was Robert Parker, well, I don't think it was. You know, let's face it, until Bob was reviewing the wines when he first started reviewing my wines, most people had forgotten about Australia. So, you know, I think it was a whole combination, of a bit of a perfect storm. You also had the economy, which kind of tanked to oh, add that to really that storm. Hurt. That with really the, with the, yeah. yeah. And so, then, of course, the Australian dollar went through the roof because right. our economy didn't tank. So we went from, I was first selling wine here at 40, you know, Australian dollars, 54 cents US, went to a dollar 10, you know what I mean? So our wines are more than doubled when everything's going to shit. So, you know. Right. So where do you see it now? I keep hearing people say, well, you know, Australia's getting hot again and it's coming back because the good guys survived and the good guys are, are you seeing that? When yeah, absolutely. Going I, I've okay. been coming back. I was out of the market a few years and I've been coming back into the US for the last couple of years. And I've really seen it where people are starting to put their toe back into the water to, you know, to Australian wine. Whereas when I was last year with Tilbrook, you could hardly get an appointment for anybody to look at the wines. So, yeah, certainly coming back to that. And I think for us, you know, especially with Callum with his useful enthusiasm and the style we're making now, it's very similar in a way. It's, it's almost like what I made when I first started Tilbrook, if you like, making wines a little bit fresh and bright and stuff. I think it's what people really want to. So I think for us, our timing happens to be perfect that everybody's coming back to it, but also we've got the wines that are probably the sort of wines that people want. So, What do you think people who have followed you as a winemaker will find? Uh, will they find differences? Will they find similarities? They'll certainly find similarities. I mean, there was a, a good friend of mine, a wine journalist in Australia, and he wrote about the wines. He said, you know, I've been drinking days, because you know, it's hard for me to say that personally, but from another someone else's perspective, you know, I've been drinking Dave's wines for 20 years, so I can see Dave's winemaking, his style, his palate and the wine, but he said I can also see that overlaid, which is obviously Callum's, interpretation of winemaking and when they talk about freshness and stuff so he said the great thing is it's almost like you know Dave's doing the thing again but this time it's even better if we if I can say that so it's kind of like you you younger again right well to a certain extent and this is the funny thing when Callum came back from France we kind of opened every bottle of wine I'd ever made at Torbrett and we looked we said I could see I hadn't actually really seen it before but I could see I'd slightly gone off on a bit of a tangent not dramatically but a little bit and so Callum said, well, Dad, we want to go back to what you were doing originally, you know, and, and, that's, and that's what this, this guy from Western Australia said to me, that these are like the wines I drank from you 20 years ago. Mm. So it is, I suppose, Callum's a bit younger than me when I started, but probably that same thing, and I think it's great. I mean, for me, it's been incredibly invigorating, you know, and I'm proud as punch to have my son tell me what I'm doing wrong and show me how to do it properly. It's fabulous, you know. <laughs> so what's the difference in with, like, the Eden Valley versus the Barossa? I mean, what, are you finding new challenges? or? Well, once again, Eden Valley has always made great wine. Mm-hmm. Hill of Grace from the Hedgeke family, obviously. Um, thing is, it was always a bit of the poor cousin of the Barossa Valley, and I don't think that was really fair. And a lot of Barossa Valley wine, Barossa winemakers used to use Eden Valley Shiraz in particular in their Shiraz. It just didn't say anything. For Callum, it's important for two reasons. First of all, being in the Northern Rhone, so wine's a bit brighter and fresher and that sort of stuff, higher a city than we would see in the Barossa Valley. The second thing is when Callum's mum and I went our separate ways, I lived in Maranangra in the western Barossa, which is probably the greatest sub-region of the Barossa Valley. Callum spent half his time with me and half his time with his mum in Flaxman's Valley up in the Eden Valley. So for Callum, it's also important from the fact that that's his life, half Barossa Valley, half Eden Valley. 
But the two regions are only 20 miles apart. They make markedly different wines. The soils are different, the climate's different. Eden Valley is 250 metres higher, 40% more rainfall, cooler, great uh, retention of natural acidity from the cooler nights and longer growing season. The wines are more the red berry fruits rather than the darker berry fruits from the Barossa Valley. So the Eden Valley probably is, if, if, if you're talking about brothers, the Barossa Valley is the muscular brother and the Eden Valley is the more life, you know, sort of... Um, Athletic sort of brother, if you like, or sister, or whatever. It doesn't matter the what. Cross country runner. Yeah, so okay. it's, it's and the Eden Valley, and what's happening now, and it's not just us. I mean, we're jumping on a bandwagon that's been, you know, Henshaw's of course for years. Chris Ringland's made a name for himself with the Three Rivers up in Eden Valley and Randall's Hill and so on. And there's other people as well. We're not the only ones. And for a minute, saying that it's just us, but it's certainly something. But once again, that's got a lot to do with Callum. Having said that, I don't just want to focus on the Barossa Valley. You know, we make Grenache and Matara or Mavedra. That's Barossa Valley. It's too cool in the Eden, they very rarely will they ripen properly, it's just the wrong place. But the Eden Valley, the Shirazes are just as good and just as, um, you know, in some cases, better than what you see in the Barossa Valley. So, and then of course the Riesling too. You know, you make Riesling in the Barossa Valley floor and it gets a bit flabby and doesn't hold its acidity. Whereas Eden Valley, being that extra few hundred, 250 metres higher and having more granite and quartz and stuff under the soil rather than the limestones and ironstones in the west of Barossa, you make these really nice flinty Rieslings too. So, so since the, the last big crest mm-hmm. of the Australian thing, mm-hmm. we have a whole new generation that has come of age now. Yep, yep. And... Um, your son's part of it, yep. I think, right? He's yep. a little millennial. Yeah, you? absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah. Not to make I feel kind of like an old person. Yeah, because, well, yeah. Um, I keep saying like my father and trying to stop myself, but can't help it when you get older. Well. I know. It's like <laughs> I, feel, I remember when I cut my teeth on my first Shiraz. Yeah. <laughs> Shiraz, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. pronouncing no, it correctly. No, 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 Australian, no. right? Yeah. But how would you present Australia now? Because there's kind of an opportunity to present Australia brand new to an entirely new generation. Well, I think, um, you know... The, the, the problem for a country like Australia in some ways is that a lot of the time a lot of our great wines never leave the country because they're in small production and Australians drink a lot of wine. I think it's the biggest problem is what people perceive of countries tends to be what comes out of the bigger companies. So Treasury Wine Estate with their stuff for the Yellowtails and you know Lindemann's Treasury. Not that they're bad wines, but they're commercial wines. So they're pretty... Um, monolithic and they don't really sort of talk about the country. Most of them are multi-regional blends. So that's the problem. It's, the, it's getting people to understand that Australia itself, let alone um, when you get down to sub-region in somewhere like the Barossa Valley, there's so many variances and nuances and differences. That's the whole thing. Australia's like any other wine-producing country. We have, you know, you can, we can make wines down in Tasmania and sparkling wines and all that sort of stuff, and great ones, and then the great Pinots in different places, great Chardonnays in different places. And what we're now trying to say to people... Think about a certain place and what works there. Don't try and think you're going to buy the same, every, every wine you want from one region, that's not going to happen. We're getting to the stage now where people are realising just how um, much variation there is. And it's a bloody big country if you think about it. You've got vineyards outside of Sydney and vineyards outside of Perth that are damn near 3,000 miles apart, you know, and it could be on different continents. So that's the thing, it's for people to realise that the new Australia is all about smaller producers doing independent stuff. The big guys are good, very viable, they buy probably 80% of the country's grapes. They serve a purpose and I don't, I've got absolutely nothing against them. But if you want to go beyond wine as a beverage to the next stage where you're talking about wine that really gives you the enjoyment from something that has a sense of place and sense of variety and then of course now we've got such a big upswell of natural wines and people into organic farming, biodynamic farming, it's a very exciting time. Very exciting time for Callum actually because he's right at the, you know, he's just literally finished a four year double degree in enology and viticulture and so 
for the last four years, he's lived in a house of seven kids, and they're all kids, like says me, who've, who've been starting it every night drinking Christ knows how much wine, you know, just drinking everything they can get their hands on, and every one of them worked in a retail shop on the weekends, so they're all bringing home bottles of wine and stuff like that. So he's, I've kind of created a bit of a monster in a way, you know, he pesters me every day, and I'm like, oh, Callum, leave me alone, just give me a beer, please, you know. <laughs> Our thanks to Dave Powell of Powell & Son of Barossa, Australia, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, Powell was showing his current releases available in the U.S. market, a Riesling and a Roussan Marsan blend in the whites. Their reds include a Grenache Morved Shiraz blend, a stunning Grenache, an entry-level Shiraz, and two top-tier Shirazes from Eden Valley and Barossa Valley, which were strikingly different but equally incredible. They really were. Powell described the Eden Valley Shiraz as more sinewy and restrained, while the Barossa was more meaty and burly. And Gina, I think we agreed that sounds pretty mm-hmm. accurate. Mm-hmm. So good. Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our producers for online media are Anna Bejarano and Tara Calligan. Technical production is by Mike and Irie. Great Minds theme music for Zante by Colin Mannon. To get in touch, check greatminds.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>